Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with New York-based jazz tenor saxophonist Tim Lin. He has an impressive debut out now that is getting some good ink. It's the 2022 CD Romance and Formosia. It's his first public offering full of hallmarks of an emerging artist stepping onto the scene for the long haul. He was born and raised in the small suburban town of Fremont, California. He is a Taiwanese-American talent whose progressive sound comes from his love of bebop jazz, that tradition and history. Over time, he has performed with the likes of luminaries like Kenny Burrell, Tootie Heath, Russell Fronte, Terry Lynn Carrington, Carl Allen, and so many others. He's full of a lot of history already and great stories. Enjoy this interview. Hey, man, it's great to catch up with you. Thanks for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. How you doing? Oh, man, everything's good. I love the album. Oh, thank you so much. And, and, and I love cats like you that, you know, you, you come into the world with this album and there's, there's so much momentum and hope and goodness that's coming out, especially now during this time where the world's reemerging from COVID. So it's so great to see that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a labor of love. That's, that's what jazz is, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this before we get to your album. Uh, how did you survive COVID? How was that time period for you? And how did it change you now that we're starting to kind of wake up and reemerge? Well, I woke up one day and I realized I was living in the Bay Area at that time. And I realized my income basically went from a survivable number to zero. I had to think a little bit outside of my feet. You know, I wasn't doing that much during that time. I, originally, I was I was doing a lot of weddings, and I had jazz casuals, and I was teaching, and then all of that just kind of went away because of COVID. So uh, one day, I just decided to pack my bags and go go back to Taiwan, where my family's from. And it just it just somehow happened that um, during COVID in the U.S. and all around the world, Taiwan was the only place in the entire world that was still uh, open because they shut down their borders to everyone else. So I, I, I applied for a special um, business permit um, to help a saxophone company and to work a little bit in Taiwan. I was approved by the government. So I, I left for Taiwan. I ended up living there for a year and a half. When you came back, is that when the album came to life and everything started up for you? Yeah. So when I was in Taiwan, I was just um, living a normal life. Um, practicing a lot and um, I decided during that time I wanted to do a record when this was all over so it would it gave me kind of like a long-term goal to work towards and then because of that I was able to um, stay motivated and uh, I ended up playing a lot of gigs in Taiwan I was playing in uh, big bands small groups I was leading a jam session uh, played some pop gigs and yeah, it just, it somehow, it all worked out that um, when I came back, I was playing at a much higher level. I told myself if, if I could make a good record, I think it would be a good um, way to prove to myself that I was ready to move to New York, where which is where I live now. Speaking of this album, this debut, Romance and Formosia, I'm curious, how did you pick the songs? How did this artistically come together? I mean, I understand the 
the impulse and, and what went into it. But as far as like constructing and putting this together, the debut is like your introduction into the world. How, how careful were you with this and how did that come together? The tunes are mostly, um, I mean, the album is mostly just arranged um, jazz standards um, that I really like playing. For me, just getting together with other people and playing tunes has been uh, one of the most fun things for me, where you can kind of um, play with people you've never talked to or met before and just, you know, have a conversation with them, uh, just like what we're doing right now. Um, so I think, uh, you know, jazz standards and, and the type of material that I enjoy playing, not that I don't enjoy original music as well, is just a great way um, to, to, you know, kind of showcase um, your own personal touch on on how you um, interpret uh, jazz history and like jazz tunes in general, and that's a reper rep learning repertoire in general is really important for me. So um, each one of these tunes in my record has a, a different um, nod to someone, either in, in the band or in a connection of mine. So like for for example, Arigen is uh, my nod to Sonny Rollins. And it just so happened, um, I got Billy Drummond on the record, who was Sonny Rollins' drummer for many years. Uh, You're My Everything. The second tune is a, a famous tune that Freddie Hubbard would call a lot. And my, my mentor, Bob Shepard, was in Freddie Hubbard's band, and he would uh, play that tune a lot with Freddie. So um, on that track, you can kind of hear me and him. We're, we're, we're kind of dueling and having a conversation, kind of like a, a mentor-student kind of um, display and then long ago and far away is also another you know Sonny Rollins nod that um, a tune that he, uh, Billy used to play with Sonny my foolish heart is a tune um, my favorite Bill, uh, Bill Evans version of that song is incredible and Andy Laverne is Bill Evans protege so um, he wrote this beautiful um, reharmonization on that tune uh, a weaver of dreams um, just like a, a great like ballad that Freddie Hubbard played. And number seven, Pursuing Resolution was just, um, it was one of the originals Andy brought into the session and I thought it had a nice um, ending touch to it, which was kind of like, uh, uh, it, it kind of felt to me like a tune that would uh, lead to, to end of chaos. And I felt like um, it was a good way to get, get out of COVID, if that made any sense. Oh, absolutely it does. You bet. So, Talk to me, I mean, as your introduction to the world of jazz, I mean, you have a, a wonderful lineup of not only musicians, but songs and story, just your backdrop here of explaining that. But I'm curious, from just a listener's standpoint, you know, what are you hoping they get from this album? After they listen to it, I hope they listen to more jazz or um, something in the album they can relate to. Like, um, I'm trying to not be a jazz elitist where I just make music for the sake of, of, of making the art, um, no matter who's listening or not. For me, it's different. I, I want to reach people, and I hope they can emotionally uh, connect with something I'm, I'm playing or something that the band is, is trying to um, create. Like, hopefully, each one of these songs had a different mood, and when you heard it, um, it gave you a different feeling. You know, maybe, you know, most, mo most jazz listeners, you have to realize, like, they're not all saxophone players. They're not all um, drummers. Maybe they're just, they just love to listen to jazz, and that's 
I love that. If if I can connect with someone like that, um, I'm happy because I, I want people to like jazz more and I still want it to be relevant in our culture and society today. So did you grow up in Taiwan? Uh, my family's from there. Um, I'm actually super American. I, I was born in, in the U.S. in uh, Milpitas, California. Um, and uh, I mean, um, Chinese was the first language I spoke in my household. But I was always listening to uh, music as a kid, uh, learning Mandarin and English at the same time. So I was trilingual in a way. That's wonderful. So I'm curious, was, what was kind of your introduction into jazz and how did music become the language and the profession that you wanted to make out of your life? I think during my high school years, when I was playing in band, uh, my my band director got me into um, listening to records. Like he would, uh, in in our jazz band, he would he would start off the rehearsal with by playing some music for us, and um, you know he would play like Duke Ellington, Count Basie, um, you know Gordon Goodwin, all all different t- styles of big band jazz. But then when he started playing um, Coltrane records, um, something about that um, really um, grab my attention. And that's when I started uh, getting really serious about music. And then I started looking for teachers around the Bay Area. Uh, I met this great saxophonist called Dan Zinn, who taught me when I was a kid. And he really showed me um, how to practice. And um, actually, he scared he scared me into practicing because he was such an intense teacher. And um, from there on, that's that's when I really my obsession began with the music. So, you know, I was going to jam sessions all the time on weekends with friends, and um, I was getting together with local pros all the time to play. And while I was in college, when I came back over the summer, I'd just be playing sessions and, and meeting more and more people and just trying to live a um, a creative jazz life um, where, where I could. What was the first live jazz show you saw that blew you away? I think it was Kenny Garrett's quartet at Yoshi's in Oakland. And I mean, just the spirituality he has and energy he he puts out when he plays is um, fantastic. And that was my freshman year in high school. So I was in ninth grade when I saw Kenny Garrett play. So you've had the chance to play and be around some pretty, pretty heavy names, Kenny Burrell, Tootie Heath, you know, Terry Lynn Carrington, you know, the list goes on. And I'm curious, what did you learn from them? Not only about being a player, but living that like resonates with you as your career takes off. I think because jazz is in a different place now than it was in the fifties and sixties, there's more to um, a jazz career, as you know, Joe, than um, just sounding good on your instrument. So for me, you know, these guys, um, uh, these people you named, they're all legends, but they're also great people. Like, um, you know, the musicians I like to surround myself with that I look up to, um, they're, they're professional, they're, they're courteous, they're on time, they respond to emails, their heads in, 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 in a place more than just the music. Not that saying the music isn't the most important thing, because it is very important, but there's more, uh, to life, I think, than being a great musician is like 
as you, as you get, as you develop more as a musician, you kind of realize, oh, like, uh, the more I have myself as a person together, the more it helps my music. And then I think that's a big lesson I learned from just hanging with all these great, um, fantastic musicians that I like to be around. I've always found that since I started the show in 2011, I've always found that jazz are some of the best, most grounded, humblest people in the world. I mean, the higher up you go, the higher you go, the most humble and talented they are, for instance, like Sonny Rollins. Um, yeah. And I think that's just such a wonderful torch to pass on to successive generations because not only does it just create better human beings, I think it keeps this art form alive that is truly and uniquely an American art form that has been homogenized by so many different things, and it's just such a good melting pot of language. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, Sonny Rollins, um, he's a bundle of joy, man. I mean, you can, I mean, you can kind of hear it in his playing, but he's, he's supportive to, to anyone that's trying to do uh, what he did to even come close, you know, for, to do what that guy has accomplished in this music is, it's, it's, it's a daunting task, but you know, Sonny is just, uh, He's he's a legend that we all look up to, and, and you can hear the joyful swing and, and just the happiness in his playing, and it shows in his personality, too. You know, one of my favorite Sonny stories, I interviewed a, a loose relative of his from San Francisco, and they were mm -hmm. telling me about after 9-11 happened, and I believe it may have been right before the towers fell, or I think it was after the towers fell, and there was recovery in all of the firefighters and everybody was there they uh they had one of the local new york news crews out there they were doing interviews with people and they were just on the scene and there was a guy that had a horn and the reporter didn't realize that it's funny and he was just playing for everybody the first responders and she just went up and said hey hey guy what's your name mm -hmm. <laughs> and he just looked <laughs> over and you know i mean and that's who he is he was just like i don't know exactly how he said it but it's like you know my name's Sonny, however it is, but, you know, she had no idea, and, and probably at that point, with everybody being in, in their state of shock, how would they, but that's him, man, he's the, he's one of the biggest legends in jazz, and he's just down there playing the horn for all of these people that are trying to make sense out of life at that point. Yeah, absolutely, and, you know, for a guy that's willing to jump off the stage and break his leg, <laughs> yeah, and pain people, it's, you know, that's, it's in his personality to do that. And that's so cool. So thanks for sharing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, you know, as a professional musician, there's so many things that go into it. I mean, the, the, the bottom line is, is that you got to wake up every day and create this music and do what you want to do with your life. It, it's probably a dream job. But ultimately, what do you like the best about being a professional musician? I like the fact that I'm in control of how I sound on my instrument. And if I don't sound good, it's my fault. And if I sound great, it's my fault. I think that's, um, you know, the just that arbiter of, of the instrument and the person itself is, um, you know, where you're irresponsible. You're you're you can't control a lot of things in life, right? And as as we all know, um, but one thing you can really control is how you sound on your instrument, and we don't have a lot of stuff like that um, around anymore. So 
I don't know. That's a, spe- a special feeling for me, just to have that. That's almost like a jazz spiritual. It's like the, the bedrock of free will, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see any jazz musician, where are you going? Who are you going to see? Of course, Train, I think, or Miles, you know, one of one of the two, because I just listened to their development and music so much and they did so much for um, the development of the styles and pushing the music forward i mean yeah just to see train play would just be fantastic i've always wanted to so as your introduction to the world of jazz as the world wakes up what are your plans what are you looking forward to as this year unfolds into the next year and the career opens up what's uh what's on your radar i just want to play with um more and more musicians now that I'm in New York. I want to keep making albums. So hopefully the CD, a lot of, you know, I got a lot of good feedback and it gave me some confidence to make more, to be grateful, to do what you're doing. And, and that people, and, and that when you feel that way, people take that energy um, that you give off and take it in a good way as well. So I just think, I don't know, you know, some you know, jazz musicians, some of them, they love to complain, you know, I mean, shit, I've been there before where I've been on gigs where I didn't, I was like, dude, I don't want to be here. But now, you know, because it's so rare and we're just getting back into it, every time I play music now, it's just, it's fun for me and it, it gives me, it helps me wake up the next day. So everyone has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you're the one that's living your life. You have a perception of you. Who do you think you are? I think I'm just a normal uh, kid that loves jazz, that loves to play saxophone, and is just trying to get better at music and life every day. Tim, this has been great, man. I look forward to the success of albums, hopefully being a fixture on the show. Thank you for opening up and, and talking about this debut album. Good luck with everything as we move forward. Thank you so much, Joe, and I'll keep in touch with you. And I've well, I've definitely listened to a lot of your interviews. I love them. And thank you for contributing as well. Thanks for listening and tuning into another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Taiwan, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Tim for his time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, Enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.